You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns with your host, Jeff Lloyd, your team every day, your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. Uh, Pete Smith here as we continue to navigate through the first week of free agency. Um, Browns-wise, business-wise, obviously kind of a quiet day here. Um, there was some good to it, you know, obviously, you know, some guys in the building, some media availability, uh, Sheldon Richardson, oh, and Pete, we say this all the time, don't say five sentences when you only need two, but we'll get to some of this stuff. Um, guys, whether it is in the car, whether it's Google Play, whether it's Alexa, play Lockdown Browns Podcast, they'll run you up the latest episode. Um, seeing as it wasn't a very heavy Active day, Browns-wise. Uh, Pete and I, uh, we got something fun here for you. We went, uh, both did, he did one, I did one. We went over to the Draft ne- uh, Network, did their mock simulator. We're going to give that a run through here and kind of give you guys, look, you know, I mean, for, you know, for you know, last year, we were able to give you one, four, and 33, and 37. We were able to give you a lot of input. So we're, we're doing this, we're going to kind of give you a, feel of, you know, what a current mock draft would feel like when you're starting at 49, still eight picks. Uh, who knows the way it's going to work, Emmanuel Ogba. And actually, I guess, Pete, maybe this is the way we can start this here today. I, I, we've hinted at this a million times, and, you know, it, it's so weird that, you know, nobody wants to mention them. We talked about this. They've never known what to do with Duke Johnson, but now all of a sudden he may be on the trade market, and this is kind of, you know, look, you don't want to move on from good players and create a hole, but they've not never known what to do with him, and God knows how many shows we spent screaming, well, where is Duke Johnson? What the hell are you doing with him? But you just can't let these guys go if it's going to be chump change. Yeah, it's the Browns are not bad. The Browns are now in a position where they're not only good, but they're you know <coughs> contending. You don't contend by creating holes in your roster. Um so if you're going to move them, you need to move them for a player or in the draft to get a specific player. You don't just move them to move them. And, you know, I guess Jason Lockenfor is a listener because today he tweeted out that, Thief. you know, the, that the Browns are going to wait until, you know, they find out what the deal is with uh, Kareem Hunt before they do anything with Duke Johnson, which is what we said a couple weeks ago. Uh Nothing's going to happen until we know. I mean, there was there was a thing out, a report out today that the Browns are allegedly uh, expecting to have him for half the season. Yes, which is you know let's let's assume that's true. You still have to get through half the season, so you're going to have to do something about that. So if, if you move Duke Johnson, it's got to be for something. Um, you know, if they want to go player for player, I get it. If they want to move up in the draft, I get it. If it's just player for you know draft pick in you know in the middle of nowhere it better be a really nice draft pick uh it doesn't make much sense to basically create holes get poor uh return on investment and then sort of just have to figure it out yeah and this is what i liked um from what dane brugler put up look i mean if you do want to move on from Emmanuel Ogba, and you do want to move on from duke johnson and yes there's always the theory of any front office of my guys versus the old guys guys. Maybe now, I mean, unless you know, you're know you going to get something substantial back, and I don't mean a draft pick. 
maybe hold on to the two of them. Look, uh, if you've only got eight draft picks, which still, with the way the roster is currently constructed, Pete, could conceivably turn into what? Four? Hold them. You know, jump up to get that guy the beginning of, you know, of night two. And, you know, don't we have to wait another 18 picks to see another 18 names come off the board. Um, use Duke. Use Emmanuel Agba in that capacity. Because um, maybe you're going to, you know, if you can end up with four players in the top, you know, 125, that's going to be a pretty good haul in this draft class. And it'll probably meet a lot of your needs. But just to, you know, I mean, and we talked about it with, you know, what are you going to move? Duke Johnson for a fourth round pick? I mean, and so then you're going to need a running back. Are you going to get a guy who's got the track record, the capabilities, and the overall ability, dual threat ability of Duke Johnson in the fourth round in this running back class? You're not going to do it. And I feel like a fourth round pick is generous because I feel like, and and look, I have, you know, even with all the rumors out there and everything with all the pressure on the Giants not to basically bend over, they (laughs) bent over basically twice. Um, so maybe he can pull a rabbit out of his hat, but I feel like if, if everybody's sitting out there going, man, they are really trying to move Duke Johnson. I I feel like teams are going to lower their offers. It's more like a fifth round pick or Agba, maybe if, you know, fifth round pick, you know, fourth round pick, I think after all the stuff that's come out would almost feel pretty good. It would still be disappointing, but I, I feel like that would almost be like a, a good return for that, which is disappointing, I guess. Yeah, so I mean, you know, maybe and I don't know, sell high. You know, I, you know, Duke, the production's there. It's just in a limited amount. Emmanuel Agba, look, I mean, everybody knows it's the injuries, and you know, you're hoping you get more of his rookie play in year four, which you know, when it's two years of kind of you know wishy washy play because the injuries, people are going to just say, well, you know, what am I paying for? What has he done? You know, it's it is forever a what have you done for me lately business. So in that respect, I, I just you know. And what they're making, look, it's not like the cap's an issue. It's not like either one of these guys are an issue where you say, look, i got to get them out of here. They're a little bit of a headache. I, I just don't understand how you're going to jettison for nothing. And, guys, yeah, continue with the Giants jokes because if <laughs> – I don't know what to do. Uh, Genuine dumpster fire. They have no idea what they're doing. They are trying to do three things at once, and it's embarrassing. Yep. They are first trying to say we're going to win now when you take Saquon Barkley second overall. We are going to win football games right now when we keep Eli Manning and don't take a quarterback. We are going to win now when we sign guys like Golden Tate, which completely screw us on compensatory picks. And they gave Philly gonna... one, though. And they gave Philly a compensatory yes, pick in this whole Who understands how to do this stuff. They are, getting, they are playing for the Super Bowl, and they are – playing this smarter than the Giants. And at the same time, you're shedding contracts, shedding talent, in an attempt to clean up your books and theoretically get worse. You are are doing all of these things and then trying to play out the legacy of Eli Manning. And the only thing that's getting accomplished is you're playing out the legacy of Eli Manning. Everything else is exactly how you end up going 5-11, and 4-12, and 12, not getting the pick you really want. And, and just being an absolute embarrassment where this is going to be the whole story of the season for you. Well, I do want to say one thing, though. This is where, Pete, you and I can thank Dave Gettleman. Corey Coleman is now the most athletic wide receiver they have. We got a chance maybe to get a get a late, soft W on this one here with Corey Coleman. Um, and look, you know, good for Corey, but I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, what scares you? Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate? Sterling Shepard, the best of Sterling Shepard would be Golden Tate. Golden Tate is not getting any younger. I mean, look, his you know great NFL career, 
however it closes out there. Good for him. Um, but, you know, I mean, how you sign him, cost yourself a compensatory pick, give one to Philadelphia, and, like, you know, like you're going to sit there like bravado and pushing your chest out like, ha well, look at this move. Yeah, we've moved on from Odell. Ugh, no, no, you didn't. Uh, there's still going to be nine in the box. Uh, you better pray Coleman, Corey Coleman can bail your ass out and, you know, I, you can't be in that position. I don't, it's just an absolute dumpster fire. But congratulations, Eli Manning, for passing career earnings over your brother Peyton. Uh, oh, I think it's going to be 252 when this season ends. His brother made 248, 249 and change. Yeah, yeah f- fabulous. I mean, that's that's great. You, you know, you were never the quarterback your brother was, even if you got the same amount of Super Bowl rings. But New York Giants, my God. Yeah, keep getting older in your front office and keep going with the my way and the do not and just, you know what? Just tell analytics and every possibility of it to give it a middle finger and go screw off and just look stupider and stupider as you guys go through it. Guys, iTunes rating reviews. You guys have been phenomenal with that. Let's keep it coming. Drop the five stars. Drop the written written reviews. I've gotten some great ones here. It's really nice to see, and I appreciate it from all of you. So go ahead. Take care of that for me now, and we're going to you know start getting in here to these mock drafts, and hopefully they aren't twins. Because, uh, you know, me and Pete, we, this year we kind of seen a little more eye-to-eye than we did last year. Make sure you hit those iTunes reviews. All right, Pete. It was it was hard. I, I, I got to be honest. And, and the one thing I will I, I will say to the guys at the Draft Network with this mock draft machine, I, I think that's what yeah, the mock draft machine is called, is that, that you can do it at a fast pace. I mean, you can literally, and I did a couple of them because some it was just like, well, first one was Justin Lane at 49. Guys, you know my love for Justin Lane. I, I wasn't going to let that happen. I was like, I can't say yes to this. That's it. We're starting over. Um, as much as Pete and I love him and as much as we think he's Rosen, I was like, I, I can't at the end of the day. And if you guys want to label his own corner, and look, if Justin Lane's there at 49, I, I mean, literally, I will jettison it. I will, you know, Send a you know, goddamn drone with the pickup as fast as possible, but I, I don't think it's possible. Uh, Pete, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll go pick for pick here, and I'll, I'll let you start with your first pick at 49. Then we'll get to mine. Obviously, you know, some talk here, and we had a bunch of great listener questions coming here a little bit later too, guys. Yeah, I don't think he'll be here either, but I, I wasn't going to argue with the machine, so I took it. So I, I took Juan Thornhill from Virginia. Uh, look, I, I like Derek Kindred. I think he can fulfill that. You know that that box safety part of that that role, and I think he has a place on this team. Uh, but Juan Thornhill is an absolute stud. I, I you know I think he's the best safety in the class by far. Uh, would be great across from Demarius Randall. Could do a lot of coverage things. Has unbelievable range and just an absolute playmaker. I, I think if he's there somehow, it becomes a no doubter. The only conversation that you would have is if something like Justin Lane sitting there and, and you just make the argument that corner's more valuable. But unless the Browns make a, a move, and I'm sure they're still looking into it, uh, this is their biggest hole to fill right now. You know, I, I, I don't disagree. And this is kind of um, the term of putting a checker on top of a checker. Um, you know, I think Thornhill is going to give you more versatility at the safety position. But this guy, he's you know, become one of my guys. I always love UW defensive backs. Um, so if you're losing Jabril Peppers, and this could be part of it, guys, and it could have been John Dorsey, and what made them say yes to this is, you know, at the end of the day, and look, and I don't want to label just Jabril as a box safety because, I mean, there were times, and look, you know, there were, 
I think it was the Falcon game laying a guy out in the end zone. It, it still may have been the Falcon guy laying the guy out on, on the sideline. You showed some things where he could play better in depth. But if you're looking for a guy, a guy who can help out in the box and give you what Jabril gave you in that that situation, I, I, Taylor Rapp is my dude. Um, what I love about Taylor Rapp is he doesn't miss tackles. He's clean with it. He is athletic. He's young, uh, similar to Jabril, coming out a year early. So you know there's going to be some learning on the fly to it. But he, a solid player, great tackler, and now you're going to put him in a 10 times better position than Jabril Peppers walked into to Cleveland. He's going to come in where there's a bunch of established guys around him, and it's going to be okay. Like Jabril Peppers, if you had any questions, who did you ask? You didn't ask because a bunch of them were learning on the fly. I mean, it was a crappy team. So Taylor Rapp comes in, and you know he can sit down. He can talk with Joe Schobert. You know, he can talk with the guys on the defensive line. Is this where I need to be? You know, do I need to be a step further outside? It, it, it seems like a good fit, but you know. Pete and I, obviously, the biggest need right now, and we both agree that there's still more needed on you know the interior defensive line. If you want to throw an edge rusher, that's fine too. But that safety position right now somehow, some way is going to be addressed. I don't think you're just going to run with Kindred. And look, I like Kindred a little bit more than I know a lot of you listeners do. But even still, you're going to need some sort of caddy or assistance to Derek. No question. I mean, they need... Look... Uh, they, if you're, if you're looking at the playoffs and stuff like that, you need the more guys you can get on the field who can cover the better. And somehow, some way they've got to find another guy who can step in. Uh, you know, a lot of this will depend on what Steve Wilkes wants to do, which is continuing to be the question. Uh, if they want to play heavy cover three, which it sounds like they do, if they want to be able to switch to two and stuff like that, that could change that the role of that guy where it becomes more like a Taylor rap or, you know, the better player. But either way, uh, you know, it, 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 this is, you know, for all the stuff, I don't know how they arrived at, at, at Jabril Peppers in this trade. If they were basically trying to sell Ogba and Duke or whatever, and they basically said, look, we'll offer this because we know this draft class is so good or because we've got something else on the burner. You know, that's sort of where this is going to be interesting. There's no doubt. Uh, there's no doubt there. And. And I think, and this was always, you know, guys, as we said before, me and Pete's bone of contention for trading for a wide receiver like Odell was, it was going to cost you two ones. Um, to, did the Giants view Jabril as a one? Which he was. If that's the case, then, I mean, they got their two ones. But, you know, what's supposed to be a good safety class, what's supposed to be a great free agent group of safeties, which is weird. I mean, some of these guys got really paid, and then you look at uh, HaHa Clinton Dix, who got a one-year $3.5 million prove-it deal, which is, eh, that's probably the head-scratcher of the entire safety class. Um, but Pete, we'll go to pick 80, and this is weird, guys. The second pick for the Browns last year, it was what, Pete, 37? This year, it's 80. Go ahead, what you got? Uh, for me, I've got... Uh, Kalen Saunders, the uh, defensive tackler from Western Illinois. Uh, shout out to Mike Krupka, who's been, you know, browbeating me on this for months. Uh, like I told you look, the other day, welcome to showing up to the party after the kegs are dry. But go ahead, Pete. The the goal here is to be right, not first. <laughs> uh, but in any case, so Kalen Saunders uh, played at Western Illinois. Everybody knows his story, and it, you know it's great from that standpoint, and doing the backflips and stuff. But on tape, he is a really, really good pass rusher. He's very comfortable in that role. He's actually much raw as a run defender yes. uh, and sort of understanding what he needs to do in a given situation. 
guys, you know, when he when he dealt with like North Dakota State, who was really strong up front, he had a lot of problems dealing with sort of what to do and having a plan. Uh, he's also freakishly athletic. He has versatility in that he could play the nose legitimately, whether he wants to rush from there or whatever. He could play the three. Uh, he just gives you a lot of options on how to sort of give this defensive line depth in a way that can be really helpful for them and has a lot of upside. And I've mentioned this, but you know, with all the, with, with all the talk at 17, like a lot of people being thrown out there were guys like Christian Wilkins for me. And, and I, I guess it could change, but I don't think it will. I've Kalen Saunders ranked ahead of uh, a guy like Christian Wilkins. Um, I, I have him ranked ahead of guys like Jerry Tillery. And it's only because Jerry, you know, when Jerry Tillery's case, it's a lot because of the, uh, the torn labrum that he had repaired surgically. I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't have enough information, but that w- concerns me. So for me, Kalen Saunders, and you could make a hell of an argument for him at 49. I, I have no issue with it. But to me, this represents sort of that Larry Ogunjobi pick uh, a couple years ago where, you know, I'm sitting there hoping, 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 hoping he's going to get to 65th pick because he had everything you wanted. He just happened to go to a small school and was sort of still figuring things out. Kalen Saunders is in that exact same mold. And if he's sitting there in round three, I think he can be a similar type steal uh, that Ogunjobi was. And he may have to be a guy you move up for, but to me it's worth it. If you can get Kalen Saunders here, it's a great selection. One thing you like, and I think you made a great point here, Yes, the Larry Ogunjobi selection, but also now that you have Sheldon Richardson in the fold. Now, this is a guy who can bounce things off of both those guys because you want to know what, if he was a 300, yeah, well, I mean, well, obviously, you know, Kalen weighs a good amount of ma- a good amount of weight, but like he can talk to both these guys and, and they can give him pointers and he's got the athleticism that's kind of equal to these guys. So he can, all right. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, like they can talk to him almost kind of like it's equals. Like a, Kalen Saunders is that good athletically. And yeah, he's a little bit, you know, on the shorter side normally for a defensive tackle. But, you know, he has the high school wrestling background, so he knows how to stay low. You know, low man wins, leverage, all that type of stuff. Uh, the story is fantastic. Um, you know, I've said he's he's going to be one of the, the good stories of this draft. You know, everybody, you know, the senior bowl, everything that goes along with it. Um, guys, he's been on the show. You got to you got to listen to him. If you haven't, you know, if anybody asks, I'll post it up again. He's a good, just a good kid, um, going through a lot. You know, he wants to succeed, and for a guy who probably was a, I'd say what, Pete, a fifth, sixth round pick, and now we're saying eighty. And you said before, you know, maybe forty nine is a possibility to see a guy like this rise that much, and. There's always guys within the league, within the NFL, whether it's coaches, whether it's scouts, or you want to know what, there's only so much you can maybe learn, whether it was Larry at Charlotte or whether it is Kalen Saunders at Western Illinois. There's only so much you're learning at those schools. So it's almost like, you know what, I'll take him because he's raw. I'll take him because there's a little bit of a clay aspect to him. And I have no problem teaching him what he doesn't know yet. And you put him into this rotation, and yeah, the pass rush is great. So, and that's what we wanted to, we've continued and we've stressed this, is the versatility of what you're going to do with a four-man front, whether it's first down, whether it's second down, whether it's third down. You want guys who are capable and can give you a little bit in every scenario. Kalen Sanders would be that guy and just a a fun, fun player, fun selection. You love the story and it's going to be fun to monitor him, his career either way. But yeah, I, I, that's the kind of guy I want to roll with. He's got a lot on the line. He's very committed. 
somebody I'm definitely looking forward to. And now this would be, obviously, there was your third-round selection. We dip on into the fourth round. Pete, who you got here? Uh, for me, uh, for me, uh, that first pick of the fourth round, I went with Stanley Morgan Jr., the receiver out of Nebraska. Um, Somebody's got a crush. Right. He... Um, <laughs> You know he's not even he's not even my only corn husker on here. Uh, when I have watched him, uh, he always stood out as a guy that would fit Baker Mayfield. Uh, his ability to catch the ball and, and, and yards after catch, track the deep ball, just make plays, find space. Uh, he's just a really nice receiver, and production wise, he nailed it. Athletically, he's nailed it. Uh, certainly, uh, we've talked about this, but you, you've got to figure out what the hell happened at the Shrine game and why he wasn't there. But in terms of like the way this receiver class falls, there are just a ton of really good receivers, and he stands out as a guy who could who could slip. I mean, he's a six foot, two hundred pound guy, so you're, you're certainly not going to think of him as small. Um, <clears throat> but if you start moving on from some of these receivers. Uh, you're going to want to find guys who can start you know, filling in roles, and you don't need him to come in and contribute right away. I don't think they really expected Callaway to go the way he did last year. Uh, obviously, they had Josh Gordon and Corey Coleman and, and those guys in it front. Uh, I think he surprised them in a lot of ways and, and sort of you know, bailed them out of that situation. But um, Morgan Jr. fits in that niche and the other part of this is is John Dorsey historically always finds a place to take a receiver every year. Uh, so I expect somewhere he's going to grab one just to grab one, uh, especially in light of the fact that Brashad Perriman is is gone. It, it opens up another spot just to get more competition. And, you know, they're in position now where, you know, one of these guys may not make the final roster and somebody may beat them out. Uh, that's not the end of the world. Uh, but, it, you know, certainly an opportunity to grab another player. Uh, I agree with you on the, receiver, uh, the wide receiver, and I, I did put one in here, and there was a twofold to it. Um, the way I played it, though, was I, I felt that Rashard Higgins would still be here. So I don't know how much drafting a wide receiver early is going to equate into him seeing playing time. Obviously, Odell. Obviously, you know, Landry, look, guys, that's not going anywhere. Um, you know, Callaway, look, guys, you're going to put a lot more on Antonio Callaway's plate this year. Then you still have, you know, then there would be Higgins, then there would be the, you know, the Willies, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, and obviously, you know, my guy and Damian Ratley. So, you know, I went to that a little bit later. Um, look, Greg Robinson on a one-year deal. Chris Hubbard, this could be, you know, his last year with Cleveland as far as the way his con- his contract was structured. You brought an offensive line coach who, in his years in Green Bay, just continued to develop. You know, offensive line guy. You know, offensive line players. You know, as he as he was on the job, it's what he's kind of known for. Is you know, he you can give him a third round offensive line player, and he can develop him into a future starter. And I know Pete likes the player as well. Out of Elon Ole Uda, I mean, you look at him. Everything checks the box. Checks checks every box as far as you know, length, height, weight, everything. All that checks out. The athleticism is pretty good. So you give uh, you know Cam and here a year to work with this guy, you know you started maybe you know could he be a right tackle? That's you know that would be your soft easy goal. Would he eventually be a left tackle? Who knows? But you know, let somebody go to work with this kid, and you know again from a school like Elon, you know there is some you know clay to him. Put him into something, but a good player, you know I don't know if he has that nasty streak to him, but he's got that get the hell away from my quarterback streak to him, which you want. 
So Ole Uda would be my selection here in the fourth round. And now we'll you know continue to move on here, Pete. Next one off the board for you. Well, that that that's where I also took Oliudo uh, for the, for a lot of the same reasons. I, I do think he's Campin's wet dream as far as that developmental guy to sort of work with, eventually take over as a right tackle, perhaps. Uh, you know, his even his flexibility stands out. But he athletically checked the checked everything uh, size wise. Obviously, he's massive. Uh, he moves really well. It's it's basically just finishing it and and i like the fact that he seems to just have genuine aptitude uh watching him like the senior bull get just better as the week progressed and and going into the shrine game and playing guard which he had never played before just to you know compete and get in there and do it so i like those things uh so yeah that's that's where i went with 144 okay now for me at 144 uh you know i the way i looked at this scenario is if the duke johnson scenario does play out and maybe he ends up not here and guys, you've heard me talk about this a lot. It, and it wasn't so much, you know, and this was even before Kareem Hunt. It wasn't so much that, you know, if you moved on, it, it wasn't so much Duke Johnson. It was it was Nick Chubb. You needed somebody, God forbid, something happens to Nick Chubb. And if it's two games, whatever, you need somebody that can kind of give you a little bit or, you know, whatever. You know, it, somebody's got to be able to do what Nick does because you're going to need to run the ball. you got to keep defenses honest. There's no way around it. And, look, Nick's going to eat. And there could be a lot of running backs that now fall into this, what they've done with Odell coming into it. Um, and guess you know, my dude, <laughs> Benny Snell. Um, I want the guy who's going to be able to get the, go- the yards that are given. If you get any more after that, it's gravy. Benny Snell, obviously, you know, Ohio kid as well. That, that comes into it. Um, he's got a personality to him. And this may even translate more now to this current state of the Browns here with Odell in here and, you know, some boisterous guys, and they have fun when they do well. Benny Snell, Benny Snell is no doubt my favorite running back in this class. And if they want to move on from Duke, I'm going to find a way to bring in a Benny Snell. Like, we know Kareem, whenever he is available to the Browns, can contribute in the passing game, and, and very well in that respect, too. But if... Duke's gone, and we've got to fill that void through September and October. And there's comes a time, you know, where whether Nick Chubb needs a blow or you know what, it's you know, the Browns are looking at a game. They're going to look at three, four games this year where we should win this handily. And you know, Nick's got maybe an ankle that ain't feeling so great. Give me somebody that can get the north and south and pick up every yard that's available to him. Benny Snell's that guy, and you know, I will take him here at 144. Sure, uh, you know he is. You know exactly what you're getting in a player like him. It's there's not. It's not a surprise. There's no mystery. Yeah, he he's you know he's he's been doing it for years. Uh, you know he's going to be a plugger and a, and a and a role player and a tough dude who just does his job. I mean, it's not much not much left with him to sort of vet. And and the other thing is, I I I, I love a guy like him who. It's weird when you say like a you know, when you're talking about the SEC as a guy who took a program up from nowhere. But look, I mean, Kentucky is you know, I mean, to be in the SEC, they're, you know, kind of lucky. <laughs> I mean, they're kind of lucky. Most of the reason they're associated with the SEC is because of basketball. But he put them, he made them relevant, put them on the map. And no disrespect to Josh Allen because obviously he did that on the offensive side of the ball. But you got to score some stinking points. And Benny Snell was the major reason for that. And one thing we keep going back to, whether it's Pete and the episodes John Costco was on, is name me the Kentucky quarterback. If you can, good for you. But uh, Kentucky's offense for the last three years was Benny Snell. Pete, 
Next one off the board. Oh, so for me, 155, I take Ben Burr-Curvin, uh, the linebacker for Washington. Uh, he's undersized. I, I, you know, he cracked 230 at the combine. You know, I have a feeling that, you know, we get to the regular season and we're in November. He's probably playing in the 220s. But he's supremely athletic, and he just made plays. He just finds the ball and tackles people. And Highly productive. He has no regard for his body at all, will just keep coming, uh, you know, at, at times it looks like when he's trying to go through offensive linemen, it's like water crash against a shore that's just not going to give, but he's there the next play. He's always coming, and he finds a way to cause problems. He just He's that annoying guy who's probably always been undersized in some respect uh, and just never quits, and he could conceivably be backup Mike. I think he's more likely to be a will uh, but there's just a lot to like with him. He, he's a guy who really, really excelled because Washington's always got monstrous defensive linemen that can protect him, so it allows him to fly around and tackle. Basically, he had all the tackles that Taylor Rapp didn't. Uh, so he's got all the goods as far as, uh, you know, from a data standpoint. Oh, no, definitely a fun player. And, you know, I mean, he, you could say here's a guy that maybe, you know, his first contract, I mean, his first you know, contract, which, you know, three years, whatever. It might be his only contract. Um, but you know, the tackling is there. The numbers are there. Production off the charts. Obviously, you can get away with being a little bit undersized in the Pac-12 as a linebacker. Uh, I do not dislike Ben Burkerbin from any instance. But, it, you know, my board played a little bit differently. And for me, with my selection here, and like I said, um, you know, I, I felt that you would have now Odell. You'd have Jarvis. You'd have Callaway. Um, you have Higgins, and you know maybe one of those other guys turns out. But the one thing, Jabril Peppers was your punt returner. And so, and hopefully, if you're a good team, you're a winning team, um, and your defense is stout, um, you want a guy who can contribute there. Um, also, I think that you know Freddie Kitchens is almost to the point now where, you know, what we've seen from him is, you know, why not throw him a toy? Something fun, something he can, you know, just carve out a niche for. So, uh, Michael, Michael Hartman out of Georgia. A number one return game, very good. Absolutely is going to fill that bill in spades right off the bat. Um, offensively, um, he's had, you know, successful, you know, uh, been successful running the ball. Been successful when they threw it to him. Um, you're not going to put a lot of pressure on him. Look, not a lot of production coming out of Georgia. And we've gone over this at nauseum. Nobody really this year at Georgia has a ton of production. But you can kind of ease him in and let him find his way. But you're going to need a returner now. You know, Jabril is gone. Somebody's going to have to do those things. Either way, even if Jabril stayed, somebody was going to have to do it because if you put more on his plate, it was going to be, you know, you couldn't ask him to do this stuff anymore. You know, the speed is there. He's just that type of guy. So that would be my selection there at 155 is Michael Hardman. Uh, yeah, obviously you, you take him because he's fast. Uh, you know, he's a highway <laughs> speed guy. Like he can, fl- I mean, he's a guy who can fly. There's no, you know, there's no question about that. And if he gives you that return game uh, spark, that's great. I, you know, if it's not him, it could very well be Antonio Callaway. Uh, but certainly you can, you can see where that happens. And then, you know, if he gives you, you know, 30 catches a year or, or this year or whatever, but you know, a couple. He's got like five touchdowns. Like that's the type of 
uh, impact you look for a guy like that. He's not somebody you expect to be a frontline starter, but he's just a really difficult role player in that you basically get a team that's like, we've got, you know, we, 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 this is how we're going to deal with Odell Beckham. This is how we're going to deal with, you know, I guess Jarvis Landry. This is how we're going to deal with Antonio Callaway. This is how we're going to deal with uh, David Njoku. And then all of a sudden this dude runs out and you're basically like, who's left? Is it a safety? Is it a linebacker? Is it like the fifth, fourth or fifth corner? Like that's where you can get those explosive plays without really having to, you know, put a ton of investment in the player. Well, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking third and eight. You know, you take Nick Nick off the field. All those guys that you mentioned are on the field. You line Hardman up in the backfield. You run him on a wheel route. Who the hell's going to cover him? Because you're focusing on Odell. You're focusing on David Njoku. You know, you know Jarvis at least is going to run a good route. You know, whether he gets the separation. Then there's Callaway. I mean, it just becomes more and more difficult to defend. And you know, we're, we're obviously we're moving on through this here. Next guy off the board for you. Uh, for me, this is where at 170 I take another Nebraska court Husker. If the Browns are going to move on from Duke Johnson at some point, uh, they're going to want to take another running back. So I gave them uh, Divine Azigbo from Nebraska, uh, a big back with athleticism who can catch out of the backfield. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, he 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 has you know some some Nick Chubb uh, size. With some Kareem Hunt skill set, a little bit. They're both. He's a slippery guy who can make guys miss. He sticks his foot in the ground and is fast, but he's also somebody who's shown he can catch passes out of the backfield. Um, if they want somebody who can be, you know, more of a downhill inside runner, if that's their concern with Duke Johnson, that I think a guy like uh, Ozigbo can can give them that and more. Yeah, the biggest NFL combine snub. There's no doubt about it uh, on a Zigbo. Uh, it, it's you know ridiculous what happened to him in that respect. Um, one people over at the Shrine game, uh, the combine. I mean, I'm sorry, not the combine. Obviously, his pro day went in there and put up bizarre numbers. Solid player. In it's you know every now and then these guys fall through the cracks and there's predetermined um, conceptions of a player. He should have been an indie. And this is a running back class where it's it's really difficult. I mean, you know, last year was a really good group. Uh, guys, next year is going to be a really good group. That's going to be really fun to get into. But, in, you know, I went Benny Snell. Pete went with a guy who's probably a little bit more athletic, probably gives you a little bit more. The fact that he's at Nebraska now, which it seems weird that we talk about Nebraska is not one of the better programs in the country. But he is a good, good player, and this would be a nice fit here. Uh, for me here, this is where, and, and guys, this is where it got interesting with the linebacker class. Me and Pete had talked about this. You know, these guys had all tested well, and, you know, maybe it's the way, you know, the draft network system is working here, and, you know, maybe it'll change, you know, over the next month. And we'll do what, yeah, obviously, we'll, we'll do a couple more of these as we get closer and closer to April. It was, you know, to add a linebacker. Um, Jermaine Pratt, um, he's just a guy I like uh, out of North Carolina State. A former safety, so you know the coverage ability is there. He's got good size. Um, the combine did not go as well as he'd hoped it to. Um, so hopefully, maybe a pro day. Uh, but I mean, when you're talking about getting a guy like this here, the production, um, the fact that he was a former defensive back, and there should be some coverage ability. Um, 
the, you know, be happy to have Joe, and you know, Kirk's here, and you know, you kept Ray Ray, and obviously you brought in the guy from Tampa Bay, who we're going to learn more about, who came in here, and actually today in his press conference, you know, I, I'm here to start, and you know, here to play, and, you know, he put his you know fact there, and he's got a good athletic profile, but you're going to need you know more in that linebacker room. So Jermaine, Jermaine Pratt is a guy I will bank on, you know, bringing into into the linebacker room. However, you know, the chips may fall, they may fall. But Pete, now here it is now, and I, I guess we're almost now. What I guess this would be the sixth round. So uh, next guy off the board here for you. Uh, yeah, guy I've, I've been liked quite a while. Uh, had his pro day, did nothing to hurt himself there. Uh, Cortez Broughton, the uh, defensive tackle from Cincinnati. Uh, you know, sh- squatty, short, uh, explosive player that could play the three. Uh, as a depth guy, I think he can give you some reps at the nose if you need him to as a pass rusher. Uh, he's just – his production is out, unbelievable this year. His athleticism is intriguing. He's a guy who low to the ground. He just needs to be consistent with his pad level. But he just flashes explosive ability. And uh, he's a guy who can impact the quarterback, can play stout against the run, and just continues to try to upgrade – that rotation that you know they they need more than what they've got right now and this draft has a lot of guys that i think you can get in the late rounds they can give give the browns more help up front and and produce some at the very least quality depth but i think Cortez broughton could be a a very good player in the league uh, you know somebody you get a real starter out of him or for the browns just a really high-end rotational guy yeah and you know, in the same scenario i went with almost actually you know, and Pete, you, you know, I sent you my pick, so yeah, I mean, you knew what it was. This is a similar guy, um, and the thing I like about this guy, though, is he'll give you versatility anywhere on the uh, anywhere on the defensive line. Um, and I know you like the player, Michael Dogba at a Temple, um, hard worker. Um, you continuously just got better and better and better in his years at Temple. A little bit older, obviously, you know, because he's a redshirt senior, um, but can play inside. Um, there is pass rush ability to him. Um, if you ever wanted to do something different and go with an odd front, you know, he could kick out at a, you know, at a five tech, but he, he gives you and and again, with the versatility with your, you know, defensive front players, Michael Dogbeg gives you that, um, guy is a committed player. You're going to get somebody like him late. Another guy that didn't get to go to the combine and probably should have been there. I, I, the kid is, he's a good kid. He's a solid, he's going to come, he's going to work. He's, you know. 10 reps, whatever, that's, he'll be fine with it. He'll he'll come in and give you everything he's got on every snap. Just somebody I, I really like as a player, and I don't think he'll ever be an elite type of guy, but of course we're talking about late day three picks here now, guys. But he is somebody that you're going to need later on in that. And if it's now it's, you know, obviously Sheldon and it's, you know, obviously Larry and you add in a guy, you know, like Pete and I both were with Kalen Saunders and, you know, Dog Bay, whether it's Broughton. Now you've got a lot of teeth, a lot of depth to that defensive front four. Yeah, I, you know, to me, when you watch Dog Bay, he he just looks to me to be the working man's uh, Ed Oliver. He just has a lot of those characteristic in terms of how hard he plays, how much he wants to run down the line and, and get after plays, and just the all-out effort level. And then combine that with sort of that sleek build and athleticism. Uh, he, he Temple is a pro day. I will be watching out for because there's a bunch of prospects that I think could help a team, but it's very easy to like Dog Bay and what he brings to a team and just continuing to bring in hardworking guys who seem to make your locker room better. Uh, that's hard to argue with. 
I mean, and it's great that you're now getting, you know, elite athleticism at a ton of positions on this team, but you still need your nuts and bolts, bolt, nuts and bolts, you know, lunchbox guys. And I hate to use those terms, but it, it's legit. That's what you need. Um, Pete, seventh round. Uh, we're going to close it out here. Oh, uh, yeah. So for the last pick, I went with Cody Barton out of Utah, a linebacker. I think he's painfully underrated. Uh, good production, very good athleticism. For whatever reason, there's – a lot of people have Chase Hansen, his teammate, ranked really high. And Chase Hansen is 26 years old, and Barton's just straight better than he is. I'm much younger, uh, just you know, another guy with good size, athletic traits that uh, produced at a high level, and you know, special teams, those type of guys, and just gives you more depth that can compete. I, I, you know, I don't think the Browns are done at linebacker. I think even if they go to the draft. And add some guys. I don't think the guys that they signed are guaranteed anything. I think this is a position where uh, there could be a substantial amount of competition. I, I, I took two linebackers in this draft. I think that's probably about the right number, unless there's something you know, a big, big uh, signing that we haven't seen yet, which seems unlikely given the field. But yeah, Cody Barton's he's just a really good football player. I think uh, if he's sitting here, I think he becomes a huge value play. I mean, I, I'm okay with that. And the one thing I will, you know, and I do go back to is, Pete, there was a lot of movement in that linebacker room last year. So, and the way this market went and, you know, some of these guys got some really, really big money, it makes you wonder where John's thought process and total value with the position is. So, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, yeah, the, the guys need to be added there, and I, I don't disagree with you. I didn't get to a corner in this cl- it, it, within mine. And look, sometimes whether it's, you know, fan speak and you know obviously the draft network this is somewhat new so obviously they're working out some glitches um somebody had a really really good combine uh, uh isaiah johnson out of houston uh look houston guys you know aac kind of throw that out the window uh it, it's still texas and you know pete who coaches high school and you know the recruiting thing is not a, something i'm you know big into in high school and college recruiting but there's players for days in the state of texas a guy like isaiah johnson here great athletic profile um, you're going to bring him in here. You're not going to put a lot on his plate early. You can still teach him some things, work him in. But you, if, if you can get a guy of this caliber in the seventh round, yeah, by all means, I mean, that's a win. And you know, either way, you're most likely he's going to make your opening of that roster as long as the kid's going to commit to special teams. So Isaiah Johnson. So now me and Pete gave you – now this was an idea of what a mock draft could look like when you're starting at 49 and you still have eight picks. Guys, yes, we know there's still six weeks before the big thing. But it just kind of gives you a peek into what it would look like, you know, when you're starting. Usually, you have to pick 49. Um, yeah, obviously, ammunition to move up, ammunition to move back. You know, John's always got his you know butt covered in that scenario. But it was interesting just to take a look at a mock draft and the way it would work. You know, as far as if you were starting in that scenario, guys. Whether it is on Instagram, whether it is on Twitter, locked on NFL Net, it has a huge presence over there. Uh, you know, everything is funneled from every host of every show through both those accounts. So, you know, on Instagram, on Twitter, locked on NFL Net, guys, if you were not following on either of those accounts, do me a favor and go ahead and jump all over that now. All right, Pete, uh, we do have a bunch of decent listener questions here tonight. Um, You know, obviously, uh, guys, look, I'm going to tell you right now, um, there's a certain faction that likes to troll. Guys, I'm not dealing with it anymore. You literally blocked immediately, okay? If you started your account three days ago and you come in here to start BS, I'm done. I, I don't have the patience um, with the show's growth. 
I, I'm just not doing it anymore, and I don't need it because there's a lot more time expended into the show. And look, as you guys know, I, I'm married. I got two kids. I, I just don't need the stinking BS. So you want to continue to do it, it's going to be a one-shot deal. I see it, you're out, you're gone. But as far as the good listeners who are and the good followers who are kind enough, and we're going to start with this one actually, Pete, because it's a fun story. Um, Erica with a K. I know Erica lives in North Carolina. Um, where were you and what were you doing when you found out about OBJ, unless I missed it already? Uh, I don't know if we actually, t- we didn't tell a story on air. Here's how it worked out, guys. Uh, we started... Tuesday night, and we tried to start with the beginning, and I remember, you know, we were trying to get through it, and, you know, Pete had said, well, actually, I guess you don't know, but <laughs> Pete, we were recording when it broke down, and Pete was like, all right, here it is, it broke down, we were waiting to hear the particulars, I kicked Pete a question about the Sheldon Richardson agreement, and, you know, Pete tries to go into it and talk about it, and, you know, I sent him a DM real quick, and, uh, I was like, maybe we should just start this from scratch. So here's Pete. Well, Sheldon Richardson, good athletic player, good athletic profile. Uh, yeah, let's just fucking scrap this. That's the way it went down. And so, you know, we took it from there. And, you know, obviously everybody, you know, enjoyed the show afterwards. You know, we, we were kind of, you know, the first to have a pod out on it. We were recording already and probably about through about 13 minutes of the crapper. But, you know, that's kind of the way that broke down. Um... Next one here, uh, let's see here. Uh, all right, Chandler Adams. I keep keep thinking Monty Hooker would be a good third-round pick if Thornhill, uh, you know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, others aren't available. Also, Trayvon Cooney is a, a name I keep circling back to. Had a great PFF rating for the last season. T.J. Edwards is another. Well, Pete, I, I don't know if this is an alias for you, but there's a lot of names you like here. Uh, yeah, this is uh, it's a great year for Iowa in terms of prospects. I mean, they've just got a lot of guys. Who Wherever are you are, early. Matt Bowen, take a big old smile. Yeah, uh, him, like Sarah Bettinger that covers the Broncos, a big Iowa guy. But, yeah, you got the two tight ends. Imani Hooker is going to be a guy who's popular. And certainly, uh, if, if for whatever reason the Browns want to go corner because, to me, the more and more we look into this, the, the it feels like if you really want to address corner, you got to grab him early. And certainly there could be surprises in terms of pro days and stuff like that. But just looking at where we're at right now, it you know it, it runs out quick. Uh, so I mean, if a guy like Justin Lane is sitting there, or they really like the kid from Penn State, or uh, Julian Love from Notre Dame, and they want to grab one of those guys first, or Jalen Ferguson is sitting there, whatever. Uh, then, yeah, then a guy like Amani Hooker could be in play. Uh, the thing of it is, there are just so many safeties, and you obviously mentioned a few. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, uh, Juan Thornhill, uh, Nasir Adderley from Delaware. You know, I don't like him, but uh, the kid from Bama, you know, these are all guys who could go very early in the draft process. Uh, Jonathan Abram from Mississippi State. And they're not all going to be able to go and somebody's going to fall and you know it may be a situation where the Browns are like we can attack this thing because the draft is just thinner here we really love the player anyway and we can sort of wait a few rounds or you know one round or whatever it is and go ahead and grab a guy like Amani Hooker. Uh, TJ Edwards Wisconsin had their pro day. The numbers I've seen for TJ Edwards are not encouraging. Uh, I haven't seen agility and some of these things, you know, they get hurried out and, and you don't know. But 
yeah, we'll see. His production is outstanding. Uh, I'm hoping his agility is very good. I, like it was reported, he ran like a four eight, and his jumps were a great, not a great start for him. Um, so we shall see where the, those type of things ends up. But yeah, hundred uh, percent. Guys like Amani Hooker and those are, are definitely guys you could keep an eye on uh, as this starts going. Well, the thing with Amani Hooker, and I remember this because I remember Justin Lane had put up something in reference to it because Justin Lane wasn't the highest-rated PFF-grade cornerback, and Amani Hooker apparently was, but Amani Hooker gives you safety ability. Uh, very similar player to Breen Body, Body Calhoun, and uh, Pete, have you heard a whisper? I haven't heard a whisper about him, right? No, in fact, I'm I'm hoping that like the, you know this goes so quietly and he goes so unnoticed that they just bring him back and we don't have to have to deal with it. But yeah, I, yeah. and to and to your point, I think Amani Hooker is more safety in his corner. Yeah, so I mean, I agree with you there. But I mean, he had played some nickel and that's how he ended up created that way. Um, if you just want to bring back BBC, that's cool with us guys. So we're good with that. Um, we know the versatility. We know the player he is. Um, Mike the Mizzou fan. Um, do you look to move pick 49, either to go up or go down? Do you expect the Browns to make pick 49? I'm just going to go right off the bat with no. But go ahead, Pete. Uh, look, I, I I don't think John Dorsey's just, you know, just bullshitting when he says that he's basically said that all options are open, including possibly moving up to the first round. Do I think they really want to move up into the first round? Probably not. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do absolutely think that the Browns are in this state right now. And, and you've seen this with the approach in trades where if the Browns love somebody and, and they did this in the draft last year, if they love somebody, they will go up and get them. Uh, they, they're not hesitant. And, and at this point, you know, with the roster the way it is, if they love a player and, and they're sitting there going, I don't think he's going to make it 49. Let's move up to 36 or, or, or 40 or whatever it is. I have no reason to believe they won't, and that's why they. It's it's nice that they have basically you know a couple threes, a, a couple fours, or one three, a couple fours, a couple fives. You know the ability to sort of maneuver around and do those things, and then if you, you know, we'll see what happens if, if they they try to move a guy like Ogba or or Duke at that point. You know that may add to their ability to sort of move up and down in the draft but you know i i think it's all out there on the table as far as options go uh, i just don't think you're gonna stay at pick 49 and, and it, it depends obviously on agba it obviously it depends on duke johnson but it, it's gonna be hard after round one and look everybody every nfl team sits down they hunker down and you make that board when you start day two and it's you know what do we like and give me your top 10 guys and and if you have the ammunition, yeah, I mean, you're going to jump because, I mean, the antsiness gets there. Um, look, things could change now between anything they do, but the antsiness gets there. And you, when you're in a war room, nobody wants to have a, a draft board where it's, okay, here's our top 48, put an X through them, and let's go 49 through 65. So it certainly could work that way. But right now, if you ask me, yeah, I mean, gun to my head, no. I don't think they're making pick 49. Now, Pete, I know you did some work on this one here. Um, discuss thoughts on extensions this year or next year that are coming up and how the recent free agent moves has or hasn't affected the way these are going to be addressed. So right now, the Browns all in have $38 million in basically, you know, $38.8 million 
in cap room. Uh, that's basically all rollover at this point. So it's not real, but you can use it to do things like if they are serious in their uh, in talks of uh, restructuring a guy like Olivier Vernon, they can use this cap room here to sort of eat a lot of that money and create more space in the future. Um, there's talk that they want to extend Demarius Randall. You know, I don't know where they're at on that, but that seems like something both sides are motivated to do. Uh, I'm hoping he's not looking at these numbers that some of these guys have gotten and think he's a $10 million player because he's not. Um, and then if you're talking about extensions, you know, first we have to get a source, uh, Richard Higgins sorted out um, one way or the other. I have a feeling that he's going to be back in a multiple-year contract, but we don't know numbers. But if you're if you're worried about sitting there going, the the Browns have been sort of amassing assets, and and it's time to pay somebody. It's Joe Schobert is, is the one that's going to happen. This is his last year. Uh, this is the last year of his rookie deal. They're going to want to get that done. Certainly, they're not going to want to do it at the 16 million type number. But I th- I think if they can get him at like 10, 11, 12 per. Uh, that's certainly where they want to go at. So we're at basically 38.8 right now. If you go to next year, they end up with uh, let's see, I wrote this down. They start at they enter 2020 with 27.2 million. That is without uh, guys like Schobert. That is without Greg Robinson. That is without you know Richard Higgins at this point, and that's likely to change. You can roll over. Let's assume they don't use another dime. They can roll over that 38.8 to this following year. But the other thing they can do, and this is where this is going to happen because this is you know, what they've been sort of waiting for, uh, they're going to get to a point where they're going to have some of these contracts that they can move from. And if they release Jarvis Landry next year, it's 10.5, million off the cap. Um, if they release... Uh, Travis Carey, it's $6.35 million off the cap. If they release Christian Kirksey next year, it's $7.55 million off the cap. So all total, just those three players, is $23.9 million they can sort of use to get some cap room back. Uh, there are other guys that fit into this uh, group. A guy like Chris Smith uh, could be in there. And, you know, he'd save $3.75 million next year. A guy like Chris Hubbard is in there. He could save $4.9 million next year. Uh, they have a lot of options in terms of ways to save money. All these contracts are sort of designed to do that. Now, it's still going to be a balancing act because they are going to want to do some of these extensions and things. But they do have some wiggle room. They have done some things to sort of save themselves some money. But uh, I, I think realistically the Browns are going to have more cap room to play with next year than they did this year in terms of real money they can use. So that's something to keep an eye out on as we go into this. And, and, and you know, they could still obviously sign some players now. I, you know, corner's the one I'm looking at. And then if they want to make a move at safety. But we are pretty much, I have a feeling, where we are in terms of money spent uh, you know, unless they, it's again, unless it's using that rollover cap this year to sort of start negotiating deals, whether it's renegotiating or whatever, to save some money. JC Treader's the other one I, I forgot that needs an extension. Uh, and shout out to uh, Sport Track website that sort of let me really play with this, which is pretty good. Uh, really helpful in that respect. So, yeah, Higgins, Treader, 
and Joe Schobert are the big ones. Uh, Higgins is obviously going to be done now, but Treader will be on the last year of his deal, uh, and and Schobert will be on the last year of his deal. I would assume Treader's not going to cost you more money. He's making about seven million this year. He's yeah. making it basically annual. His his average for over three years was five million. It'll probably end up, I assume, being close to about seven million average, which is fine. So you're not actually adding any money. It's just another thing that has to get done. Yeah, and as the cap grows, um, but you're getting to the point with Joe Schobert and guys, um, he, he he's going to have a C on his chest. And I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Schobert and you know um, guys, the OBR folks, and you know Lane is you know obviously the guy over there who gives you a lot. Some talks of extending their own. Joe Schobert, it, it, it's gonna, it's gonna have to happen. Uh, you, you cannot have your middle linebacker. And guys, we talked about this at nauseum. When you, when Joe was out and Joe was missed and injured, you saw a lot of this defense, and you saw a lot of it was you didn't have the guy, you didn't have your signal caller. Um, Joe deserves the extension. He's your, he should be your captain in your D. Granted, there's guys who were, and we've talked, you know, the other things we've said is if you were going to draft these guys one by one, Joe would maybe go fifth or sixth just on talent, but it's it's not based about that. You need that guy, um, you know, and we, you know, Devin White, Devin Bush, me and Pete had some fun with those conversations, but those are out the freaking window now. Neither one of those guys are going to be here. So Joe's going to have to get his money. Um, I agree, Richard, and once, you know, if you move on from Landry, Landry after 19, It'll ease the you know the cap burden on the wide receiver room, you know as Callaway gets closer and closer to when he maybe would be eligible for a payday. So you know that's kind of where you're at, and you know and you always got to keep in mind. You know eventually there's Miles and there's Baker and all that stuff, and you know you hope that the cap will continue to rise, um, lockout whatever that'll always you know help the cap to rise. So it's you know economics. You know, I mean, you just work it year by year, and you're going to end up losing guys that you don't want to. It's just the, it's the nature of the game. That's what happens, especially if you're a good team. If you're a bad team and you're a cap hell, then just fire your GM because nothing's going right. But uh, Pete, NFL spin zone. What's coming at? What's coming soon? What do you got? Uh, you know, the next thing's going to be basically writing something along the lines of discussing what all this really means and and what trying to get into the head, the head of John Dorsey and why he's making all these moves now as opposed to maybe in a year and stuff like that. That's sort of the next project. I can understand. Um, guys, uh, read Pete's work over there at NFL Spend Zone. Guys, we've given you some good stuff here today. Obviously, we got to you know, um, you know, where we're at here, the uh, you know introductory uh, to the new guys here. The um, Obviously, we, you know, we both did a uh, – we went over to two, uh, Draft Network here. You know, gave you some mock drafts, an idea to look at where it's going to be when you're starting at 49. You still have eight picks, but you're starting at 49. Uh, some listener questions, all that stuff, fantastic. Make sure you're following Pete over there at NFL Spin Zone at uh, underscore Pete Smith underscore uh, Lockdown Browns, the Twitter account at Lockdown Browns. We always keep it follow back. You guys know that you've been fantastic with it. Continues to grow and grow and grow. Uh, any questions you want to put on Twitter, send a DM over there. Got no problem answering those. Follow me personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, guys, I just want to thank you again. It, it's been amazing the last couple of days. The traffic, the everything that's coming through here, it, it's been fun. and it, it, It's kind of hard to grasp the way this is all growing and the product of the Cleveland Browns and, and to get to talk about it every day and, and cover it in this way. And yeah, I mean, you know, as I love Otto Beckham and as Sheldon Richardson's a guy I got to see here 
with the Jets. I mean, it, it's it, it, like sometimes I just gotta sit back and do, do like a you know the uh, Bad Boys movies. Woosa, woosa. It, it, it's fun where this is going, and you know, I mean, I wish camp would start tomorrow. Well, maybe the draft tomorrow, maybe camp the day after. But it, it, it's been fun to go through all this. This has been the daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the LB. LOB. Let's go Browns.